Hey everyone, welcome to Hashtag Real Life. Abby and Danielle here. At Hashtag Real Life, we want to bring the essence of conversations back into our day-to-day lives. We want to tell the stories of the people around us with no topic off the table. Our hope is to create a safe space for ourselves, guests, and our listeners, all while bringing our authentic selves to create rambling but beautiful content. Now, let's talk about some stuff. We're back! Back again, (laughs) and I am so excited that my migraine from earlier today has subsided because I could not, could not miss this special guest. I'm just getting right into it. Yes. Okay. We're in, we're in. Well, the special guest that we have everyone drum roll, please. We have Dr. Deborah and Turner in the building. Yes. AKA auntie. AKA auntie. She's, she's everyone's auntie, but yes, she is mine. She's near and dear in my heart. And we're so happy that she's on the podcast today. She has experienced a plethora of things in her life and has just walked this earth with such a presence. And, you know, I am just so honored that she's part of my family, but I'm so happy that she has been a part of everyone else's family as well. And we're just so excited that she could be on the podcast with us today and grace us with her presence and take some time out of her busy schedule and have some auntie chats. So hello, auntie. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. It's really awesome being here with two of my favorite girls. Yeah. And it's also exciting, although I will admit that I was telling Danielle and Abby earlier, I'm just a little bit nervous. I usually don't get too nervous for presentations or talks or stuff, but I just want to have fun and make it right for them. So I'll try to be, be behave myself and hopefully impart something that's worth listening to. <laughs> behave yourself. Ooh, I'm curious now. Well, you're so used to giving talks to like multiple amounts of people. So, I mean, you know, you can just imagine you're just sitting with Abby and I just having a little kiki moment, you know, but everyone else is listening from the outside, I guess. (laughs) Yes. Yes. We're so excited. (laughs) And before we get, I have one other thing I'd like to say, I'm really excited about this is because, and I think both Danielle in particular, but Abby knows that one of my favorite things is getting together with the friends of my children, because I truly believe that one of the things that's going to quote unquote, save the world to use the terminology in the big term (laughs) is intergenerational connection and conversation. So I always get excited when I can get together with folks that don't have gray hair like me and talk. So So this is special. So thanks guys. Yes. And it'll be recorded forever. So, I mean, it's always great that we can go back and listen to it and let the memories live on forever. So, yay. <laughs> so you said that you have given, I mean, speeches abound. What is the largest audience you've spoken in front of? And we'll get to the history, but I just want to know that first. <laughs> oh, boy. I have to think about that. I guess the probably largest audience that I can think of in my uh, media time is a couple thousand. So, uh, you know, a few people out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Danielle recently texted me. was like, oh yeah, Auntie's just like going to Washington DC, you know, doing her speaking thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the best part about Auntie and getting ready for these speeches is talk about procrastination at its finest. I mean, like, but she pulls it off. Like she will be writing a speech until like four o'clock in the morning or something. She'll be like, yeah, I have to get the speech together. Like got to get this prepared. And then all of a sudden she's speaking and you're like, wait, what just happened here? Like, how did you do that when you were like staying up all night, just getting it going? Like you, you strive in the, the stress chaos zone, basically. (laughs) Yes, I, I probably do survive under stress. That probably comes with part of being a doctor and a surgeon and now working in the, you know, um, you know, voting rights area and that. But it's like, I, I can't do things without being inspired. So like, if somebody says we want you to write a speech or give a talk or something, I'll say, okay, if I don't have that moment of inspiration about what I want to talk about, 
I, I just can't sit down and write it for the sake of writing. Something has to trigger me to say, this is what is the message that I feel like I need to give, whether they want to hear it or not. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I just get inspired and that's how I do it. So, yeah, uh, it's probably not the best. I will tell people that's probably not the best plan for their life, but it's worked for me for ready for this one. 71 years. So I'm still surviving with it. <laughs> I was going to ask if you've always been a procrastinator. So, okay, you answered that one for me. (laughs) But you've accomplished some amazing things. So, yeah, you, Dr. Deborah Turner. So you, yeah, you, you hinted that you're a surgeon, but you also have other degrees. (laughs) And I have reached out to you for for a few advice on some things. I remember. (laughs) So what do you have a degree? What do you have degrees in? Well, my first degree, and it's uh, folks who are, I'm sure there might be some Iowa Staters on this call. And <laughs> at Iowa State, there used to be an area called distributed studies. So when I went to school and got my BS in science, my it was in three areas of concentration, rather just a major minor. So that was my first kind of big degree, besides graduating from Mason City High School. Yay, Mason City High School, right, Danielle? <laughs> <laughs> Go Mohawks. <laughs> And then I got my medical degree. I went to medical school at University of Iowa and got my medical degree there and did a residency in OBGYN. And then I did my fellowship in gynecologic and cancer, which was kind of like my heart's and life's work was taking care of women with cancer. And it was a field I absolutely loved and I loved all my patients. And it was just like, it was meant for me, you know, everybody has their call. My dad used to say, everybody has their calling and they should listen to what their calling is. And so I listened to mine and you'll hear me spattering things about what my mom and dad told me, just so you're aware. Okay. <laughs> Love it. And then while I was practicing medicine, I figured out I was doing some things and I was getting ready to be involved more in some political stuff and that. And I kept thinking, whatever your things, decisions are being made, who's at the table? Well, there are always lawyers at the table. And so I decided I want to really understand how lawyers think. So when I was practicing in Des Moines, I went to law school at Drake and got my law degree so I could figure out, so I could sit at the table with a bunch of lawyers and already know how they're thinking. You know, I had to get into their minds. In fact, one of my favorite stories, not to name drop, but was that, uh, Governor Vilsack, well, now, I guess, Secretary Vilsack came to my law school class one day and he was giving a lecture and he saw me in the sitting as one of the students and he came up, what are you doing here? And I go, I want to know how to get into your mind. (laughs) (laughs) And he's never let me forget it, but it's true because they do think different. They're taught to learn and to think in a very special way. And when you have that uh, logic that they use, it really helps you navigate your life. So that's why I did that. So anyway. What a smart move to be like, (laughs) I need to be seated at that table. So I'm just going to be a surgeon and go to, did you go to school at night? Like, how did you do that? Well, Drake has got a really neat program. They call it the educational opportunity program. And it's for people who are in professions who still want to get a law degree. So you, your classes, part of them are at night, but a lot of them are during the day. So my poor team, my uh, medical team had to change my schedule every semester. So we had a weird schedule every semester and I'd like go to law school for a couple hours a day, come back and work and then maybe go for another day. And then the next day I'd be in work all day and then go to law school at the end of the day. But it, it, it worked out. I, I hope my children didn't suffer because of it, particularly Daniel, but it was strange times, but it was worth it. <laughs> I was going to say, Danielle, do you remember those times or? Yeah, I do. I mean, they were definitely like, the funny thing is, is like, I've always known my aunt is to be this extreme achiever. So like, for me, it was just so, it just made sense that she was going to do that. Like, I mean, in theory, I was kind of like, wait, what? You're going to go to law school now? Like, what do you mean? But then it just made sense. Like, I mean, she didn't really have to like explain it. It was just kind of like, oh, well, auntie, no, like she's got to learn something else. Like she's got, she wants to help more people. And like, she's always wanted to help people too. So it's just been like, I think her becoming a, like going to law school and doing all of that just kind of 
gave more, made more sense to me. Cause I was like, oh man, it's so she can help more people. Like, duh, that just makes sense. I mean, it was kind of wild. Yes. It's just like, oh, she's going to school. She's doing work. She's with us, all the things. But I'm like, oh, it makes sense though. Like she's just trying to help people, you know? <laughs> yeah. My family was very uh, receptive and good. And, you know, and I, and I, granted, I've done a lot of things and had a lot of kind of honors during my lifetime, but it, it really comes down to the people I had around me too. I had so much incredible support from my family and amazing, wonderful friends who would help me figure out things. And, you know, if I needed the kids picked up somewhere, my, you know, my assistant, my medical assistant would go, oh, I'll go pick Daniel up at school, <laughs> you know, or I mean, stuff like that. So it's really the people in your life that are around you that, help you get to where you are because you never achieve anything just on your own. And I think that's something for us to remember. And my mom and dad kind of built into me that there are people along the way who help you. And you always must remember that it's them that make it possible for you to be where you are. So, so that really was helpful. So. Yes. Your tribe, your support system, that is really important to know and remember. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I think one of the things that I know uh, our family just kind of talks about a lot is that your friends also just become your family and you don't have to think of them as just acquaintances all the time. You know, like those people who are your friends can like really change and shape your life in so many different ways. And so as long as you're as long as you're having those friendships and creating those creating that support system, it like really helps you all the time you know you can't like Andy said you can't do anything by yourself you know right and you have to be open it's interesting you know I I suppose I was fortunate I not suppose I know I was fortunate because I had such an amazing mom and dad and you know my dad was like uh he had a sixth grade education from the deep south he was one of the people, if you've ever heard of the Great Migration, who left the South. He left the South when he was about 12 years old because his mother was concerned about him trying to grow up in the South. And so that was in the very, very early 1900s. So he was part of the Great Migration. So he moved North. And he always said to me all his life, he'd say to me, you know, I never meet a stranger. And it was really true. I mean, we'd like be going on a trip somewhere. We'd be sitting in the bus station. My mom would be sitting there watching her purse and making sure the kids weren't doing bad things. My dad would be walking around the bus station and introducing himself to everybody, you know? <laughs> and so that ideal of meeting people where they are and meet, not looking at very everybody initially as a stranger is really helpful, you know? So I, I had that special thing from my papa that was really cool too, so yeah oh I love that I called my grandpa papa so like anytime <laughs> I hear just anyone use that word for dad or grandpa oh just always touches yeah. me <laughs> and I mean you grew up having such like a large family like just a large family unit like with all of your brothers and sisters and everything like that so I mean I think that just also traveled through through your life because they all like brought so many different parts of you you know yeah and of course I I I can never talk about my life and which I don't like to a lot sometimes, but <laughs> not talking about my sister's life, uh, Danielle's mom, Darlene, who was literally unequivocally my best friend ever. I mean, you know, sisters, we were just under three years apart and, you know, we had our tiff and tats sometime, but we were just like worked well together. And one of my original stories throughout my life, she was always there, you know, and, it started when she was like, I was like in kindergarten and we lived at a school where you could walk to school. We were close enough and my parents could allow me to walk to school. And we had a little neighborhood um, grocery store. And so we needed, I think my mom needed me to get, I can't remember, I had to go to get some milk or something. I can't remember something, loaf of bread. So I took Danielle, I mean, Darlene to the store with me. And so we could walk back through what we considered the alley. And there was a shortcut that I could go to school and get there quicker. So our house was only like three houses down. And Darlene knew what our house was in that, but she had to go down the alley and in the gate to get to the house. And so I left her, I said, okay, Darlene, you just go home. There's the house, you can get there and I'm going to school. And so I sent her on her own to go home. 
my goodness, did I get in trouble when I came home from work, from school that night. You never desert your sister. You never desert your sibling. And we, from that day on, it was just like, we always had each other's backs. And I remember that I would never do something like that to my little sister again. And so, and she had my back then all through my life. <laughs> when I was in a fellowship at, in Texas, and we worked hard. We'd go to work like at 5.30 in the morning and get off at 7, 8, 9 at night. And something would happen in the world. And Darling would know that I wouldn't know about it. So she used to call me at work and say, okay, I'm going to tell you this what happened because I'm afraid somebody will ask you and they'll think you're really stupid because you don't know what's happening in the world. <laughs> so that's just how we were together. You know, she took care of me. I took care of her. And so she, she was... Uh, sincerely and she really was part of that moved me ahead and made me who I am today because uh, there's not a day I don't go by thinking about what would Darlene do or what would Darlene say or how would she do this so I have to always give tribute to my baby sister <laughs> Aww. Danielle lives out her spirit for sure <laughs> oh yeah she's my mini she's my definitely mini Darlene <laughs> <laughs> Love it. How many brothers and sisters did you or do you have? Well, I have, I am the last living child of my mother. And um, my last sister passed in this last April, Dolores, who was, um, um, well, she was 84 when she passed. So I had four brothers. Well, actually, uh, yes, I had four brothers. One I never knew because he died before I was born. And then two brothers who died, and then my dear beloved brother, Clarence, who died two years ago, okay. and then Dolores and Darlene. So there's seven of us all together. So yeah, but I'm the last one. So I'm hanging in there. <laughs> my, <laughs> my children are keeping me young, sometimes <laughs> old other times. <laughs> <laughs> or my chicken. Danielle, what are you doing to Auntie? <laughs> I know. We just like to keep you on your toes, you know? We yeah. just like to get you through life and just enjoy it you know <laughs> but yeah being an only child myself like I always wondered what that would be like to just grow up with so many brothers and sisters and I know Danielle and I have talked about that like us being only children but yeah you had Daniel I had my cousins but again it was such a small close-knit family whereas like yeah generations before I feel like yeah my my grandpa's side of the family all of them just came from large Irish Catholic families. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was about my fate, my generation, but we just tend to have we less kids, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, and my aunt, my sister's mom had 11 children. So we had 11 first cousins that only lived three blocks away. So <laughs> there were lots of us all the time. <laughs> I do love that though, like living close together. Cause I only lived a house. Like there was a house in between me and my grandma. So like mm -hmm. we still had a close family, just was a little small, tight knit, yeah. but yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of cousins. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people ever. Lots of voices. <laughs> I only have six first cousins total. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I had 11 in one family. <laughs> oh Yeah. Uh, did you, I know you were like Mason city pride. Did you grow up in Mason city then? Or I know you're in Nebraska now. Like where, what did that trajectory look like? Yes. I was born and raised in uh, Mason city, Iowa, Meredith Wilson's hometown. I said to remind people. And <laughs> as I tell people when I'm giving talks and I usually my first line is that really I'm just a corn fed Iowa kid. Okay. I'm so Midwestern. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was my, and I, we were really lucky. A lot of things people don't understand, you know, there are uh, perceptions of all parts of our country and everybody has their own perception of what a place is like. And Mason City was a very interesting community. When I grew up there, it was, it was very multicultural and they're going, wait, you're talking about North Central Iowa. And I'm going, yes. So because of where it was located and it was on the railroad and there were uh, there was a sugar beet factory and there was uh, a livestock um, 
processing plants. So we had a real mixture of groups of folks. So I grew up with, you know, a good, uh, fairly significant Jewish population, fairly significant, a large Hispanic population, a large Greek population. And yeah, so in fact, I went to Greek school when I was in sixth grade. I can still <laughs> sing the Greek national anthem because I had a crush on a kid. <laughs> it was Greek. <laughs> that sounds like something Danielle would do. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> and and we were really lucky. I mean, here we were back in the late 50s and we had Spanish on TV. We had Spanish TV for every fifth and sixth grader in Mason City. There were 13 elementary schools at that time. And every morning we sat down in the gym in front of our little black and white TVs because that's all the school systems had. And we'd say, Buenos dias, senor Siqueiros. And then we'd have class, Spanish class with him. And our public school uh, education board felt it was important for everybody in the community and particularly the kids to learn to speak Spanish at least passably because we had a large um, Latinx or Hispanic population at that time. So they just decided they would do it, which is just like unheard of in 1959 or 60. So, yeah. so I, I was really lucky and I think that prepared me well for my next ventures in life growing up yes in this funny little small town north central iowa that was different than most people would ever envision it was you know mm-hmm. so well oh yeah daniel go I oh saw no you. i was just saying and i mean it's it's wild it's always wild when i hear that part of the story too because it's just changed so much <laughs> like, that's what was, i was gonna lead to yeah, yeah it was just not really like that like when I was growing up there so it's always just it's so interesting like how things change and like what you learn and the population like how it turns over and just how things are different but yeah it was definitely not like that when I was growing up there but it's it's so cool to know that that's how it was you know and how it still can be yes do we do you guys know why it changed or why there was a shift you know so the demographics that changed uh, a lot of places in the country, uh, kids grew up and then they moved away because they could get better opportunities other places. Um, some of our businesses, like the meat packing business closed. There was a big sugar beet place, which a lot of our uh, Latinx and Hispanic uh, folks came for. That closed down and one of the big cement places close. So it had a lot to do with business. And as the business kind of uh, decreased, the population became more homogeneous. So yeah, which is un- unfortunate, but that's what happens. So you have to figure out other ways to continue to fight those changes, or at least to, to continue the, you know, that feeling of inclusion and diversity that you can have in a community, even if it isn't there by numbers, it can still be there in your hearts and souls and in how you, you know, carry out your lives and how your communities operate. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's obvious, like all of those themes have obviously played a huge role in, into where you are now. Um, <laughs> I'm curious before we even get into all of your cool accolades, did you ever struggle with imposter syndrome growing up or like feelings of like, oh, I, I can't do this? Or were you always, nope, I, I'm going to med school. I'm doing all of these. I'm going to be the great Dr. T. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I never thought I was going to be the great Dr. T, but I always had a kind of, well, I can do it attitude if that's what I really want to do. And that comes back to my mom and dad again. They always used to tell me, you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. But, you know, you have to be committed to it. My dad had a great phrase. He used to tell us, and this is when people just crack up when I tell them. He used to say, I don't care what you choose to do in life. I don't care if you want to uh, dig ditches or you want to be a doctor. The goal is for you to be the very best ditch digger or doctor that you can be and not worry about the other guy what they're doing. Do what you can do and what you know you can do. And so I think about that be the best at whatever you're doing. And I think that really helped me because it was like, I wasn't trying to be better than everybody else. You know, I think sometimes we make, we tell people or we really get our kids, the goal is for them to be better than the other kids or better than the next guy along the way. That was never my dad's approach. His approach was always be the best you can be. 
and then things will work out. And so I think that really helped move me along my trajectory in life, you know, so. That is great advice. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> I, I can see it myself, right? If competition against somebody else. I mean, yes, like in sports or things like that can be maybe a benefit, but it really does come down to like bettering yourself or I guess even in sports. Yeah. Like what personal best can you do in this sense? And anytime that I've compared myself to somebody else, I don't feel like in professional life, I don't feel like it's ever landed well. Like that's never been great fuel for me. It's yeah. Led to not doing cool things. So Mm-hmm. And that's really neat because, you know, that, that you, that you're sharing that because you don't feel as good when you just have beat somebody else and that's it. When you even know that maybe you weren't really doing your best, but you got away with it. You know? <laughs> so wow. it's, it's not as fulfilling, I don't think, but you know, yeah. Well, and also you, I mean, in general, you've been in so many competitive fields. If you think about it, I mean, the medical field is so competitive, like the law field is so competitive, like politics, like everything is very, very competitive if you think about it. So you could have easily got swallowed up in the comparison game through that, because that is just the nature of the fields that you've been in, you know, like the tables that you've sat at have always kind of had to be those comparison tables in a way. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not like you don't want to, you know, granted, you know, if you can get the golden apple, you get the golden apple, I guess. But, you know, but that's not the ultimate goal. You know, it's like you want to be a really good doctor or, or whatever and or a great teacher or, you know, a super dietitian you know? <laughs> <laughs> or the virtual assistant of the world. Okay, you yeah. want to be any of those things, you know that you're not going to be able to be them if you're just trying to be better than the guy next to you. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Or the girl next to you or the person next to you. So mm-hmm. it really doesn't work that way. So anyway. Yeah, I was just talking to my grandma and she was a teacher for over three decades and was like one of the best and yeah, got the golden apple or whatever it was called. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the news came and like, she was always like, oh, okay, whatever. And, I'm, and we were talking about just how creative and how much she loved it. And I was like, grandma, you are so, you are so creative as uh, like a planner for your kids, like all of your like lessons, just, they weren't the, the standard. I was like, why? She goes, because I loved it. Like, and that was just it. Like she loved it so much that she, like we, I, all I remember is doing a lot of like arts and crafts and creative things with her, like different segments of like, we did a, I think a sock puppet, uh, like shadow box of the little house on the prairie. Like, I just remember (laughs) these really random things. (laughs) So creative and allowed to do that, but that stuck with so many kids and yeah, it's, I don't know where I was going with that, but just. <laughs> well, that's so important too. I, I, I love you brought that up because my other passion in life is education. And I just really believe that we do not give the teachers in our world enough credit. Not only just not, you know, the things like financially compensating them, which is critical too, obviously. But the fact that we like, you send your little one to school you put them in the hands of this educator. They are the ones who are basically helping to form the leaders of the future. And if we don't give them support and give them credit and realize they're amazing what they do, it's like we're dead in the water because we have to have people who love to teach. I could not be an elementary school teacher and heaven forbid if I tried middle school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but okay. you know okay. there are people who do it and do it well and we just do not give them enough cut so I say kudos to your grandma that's really cool <laughs> if she could still be doing it she would but 83 she's like ah, I'm done <laughs> well it's like once you find once there's people in the world that move in their path and are doing the things that they want to do you have to congratulate them for that you know what I mean like because they're actually like moving in their purpose and they're 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 teaching people they're educating they're doing all the things and you you have to I don't know you have to give them the accolades that they deserve because you give everyone else the accolades they deserve so why not you know I don't yeah know. 
So that's great. So. <laughs> so I know we've kind of, we've bounced all around and it, it, it works out. It, it flows with the combo. How long were you practicing medicine, doing surgery bef- like before you went to school to, or back to law school? Excuse me. I actually had, let's see, well, I was, I'd been practicing medicine when I went to law school for about, it must have been roughly 15 years, maybe a little more. And when I decided, and I was still, I practiced full time while I was going to law school. So it was just like, it was just something, (laughs) it was something I had to do. I mean, it's like, I knew I had, had to do it. So, you know, and, uh, and it was critical for the things that I wanted to do and, you know, the dials I wanted to help move and just the work I wanted to do in the future. So it, you know, I just decided I had to do it. So I did it. And uh, I had lots of people to support me and help me. So, yeah. But and let, let me tell you something that's funny about that is even before she went to law school, think of like having to tell people like, oh, your aunt's a gynecologic oncologist. Like that's a very long, that's a lot of stuff to say. <laughs> and they're like, wow, that's so cool. So it's just, I don't know. It's just a cool thing in general. I'm like, yeah, my aunt, this is what my aunt does. And she's going to law school. It's kind of wild. It's crazy. <laughs> That just that corn fed kid from May City, Iowa. <laughs> so you desired to, yeah, make change. Do like looking back, the maybe the populations, the people that you wanted to help, is that where your trajectory ended up going? Or were there ever any curves or swerves in that journey? You know, it I guess it is. It's interesting, were there any curves or swerves? I think that in the long run, yes, the people that I wanted to help and I felt I wanted to do, it was right. It's very interesting. I got into, you know, I went to medical school. It's kind of funny how I actually decided to go to medicine. My oldest sister, who we just lost this April, was a nurse and I adored her. And She was, when I was little, she like would take me to the hospital and introduce me to her nurse friends. And actually in those days, she even introduced me to her patients. And I was, I was always so impressed about how her relationship with her patients with and how she interacted with them. And I always kept thinking, I want to be a nurse just like Dee Dee, because I want to be able to interact with people the way she does. So when I was in junior high and I was doing science and stuff and her husband, who was like a real goal setter, you know, you got to go, you got to go. He was, he says, well, if you're going to be a nurse, why don't you just be a doctor? And I'm going, oh, Sterling. Yeah, that I could, I could do that. <laughs> and so in junior high, I decided, yes, I am going to be a doctor. And um, it it just really kind of worked out. It was it was not always easy. I mean, I don't want to you know paint it like it was just this rosy path the whole way. You know, you had to go through all the steps to get there, and there were conflicts along the way. Being you know obviously being a African American uh, woman medical student at that time was not as easy as maybe for some other students and then getting into the residency. And finally, when I decided to do gynecologic oncology and gynecologic oncology is a very specific area. And I chose it because I fell in love with the patient population. It's really weird. I was doing a, what we call a rotation, spending time like an internship basically on a rotation and taking care of a patient. And uh, I just liked what I was doing. And the doc who was my teacher, once again, it came to the teacher. He was such an incredible mentor. And I just decided oncology, gynecologic oncology, this is what I want to do. Well, there were no board certified. In fact, there was maybe one African-American gynecologic oncologist in the country at the time. And she wasn't, she hadn't got her boards because whatever, for lots of reasons. But anyway, so people were kind of discouraging. They say, well, you're never going to get a fellowship because there were only, there were very few fellowships in the country. That's where you train, you know? And I didn't want just a fellowship. I want the fellowship at MD Anderson, which was kind of like the kind of premier spot at that time, because I figured if I'm going to train, I better get training from the best place because and for people to accept 
that I can do this realistically, you know, looking at this real, if you're a black woman doing this, you probably should try to train in the best spot you can find. And so I interviewed at Anderson and it's another one of my great stories. So I go in and sit down with the chief of the department and he looks at me, he, literally his first question to me was, do you do drugs? I'm going like, wait a moment, where did this come from? <laughs> and I'm going, uh, uh, no. <laughs> and he's going, well, I just wanted to check because, you know, there is concern, you know, uh, from who you are in your background that that's a possibility. I'm going, uh, you know, I'm going like, I can't even believe you could ask this in an interview. Nowadays, you probably couldn't, but you yeah. certainly could back then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway. But they accepted me and I absolutely fell in love with gynecologic oncology. And along the way, I, I practiced in many different places. Gynecologic oncologists are kind of tend to known as kind of rolling stones because there weren't a lot of us to begin with. And so people moved around a lot. But the big thing was about the patients. I love the patient. And I literally have one award in my lifetime that is the number one most precious award to me. And there is a organization called the uh, Schwartz Organization for uh, Compassionate Medicine. And what happens is a patient will send a letter or a note or something to this organization and say, we'd like to nominate our doctor for being a compassionate doctor. And then they give out the awards. And that is probably the most precious award I've ever gotten in my lifetime because it said to me, I was doing what was right for me and that I really was helping people. And uh, it, it still almost makes me cheer up whenever I think about it. So, so even with all the crooks and turns and issues that came through the process, ultimately I did what I wanted, to, what I felt like I wanted to do and what was right for me. So, you know, but anyway, sorry, I digress. You no, see me talking and I talk and talk. It's your fault. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> no, we love the stories. I mean, <laughs> I'm just engr I'm engrossed in this entire conversation. So mm -hmm. you can keep talking. I'd be like, mm -hmm. well, and then I mean, I think also too with you, uh, like being in that field, you got to just really get to know your patients on such a deeper level too. Because I mean, you were doing all parts of their their journey because you were doing surgery, you're doing the consultations, you're doing their chemo, you're doing everything. And that's what I thought was so wild and amazing because in most situations, like you had said before, the doctors, there's multiple different doctors in charge of your process through cancer. And so it was just so amazing that you were able to go through the whole entire process with a patient. And I feel like that just made their experience like so much better. And it meant that you just took so much care into what they were doing from the whole entire process, even though it's just such an incredibly hard process as it is, you know? Yeah. And their families, we really, and I had a very special team of my team, my nurses and assistants and that that worked with were all very special. And, um, we felt like we were part of their families and they were part of ours. And it's still, Occasionally, I'll walk down the street somewhere and somebody will come up and say, you took care of my mom. I just want to say hi and thank you. Or, you know, even if their mom had passed or their grandma or that, you know, and you really oncology is a different field and particularly for gynecologic oncologists. So it's the kind of field that related. I relate it to, you know, good for me. Everybody has their calling, like my dad said. That was my calling. <laughs> yes. Well, and you've just, and moving forward with that, you also have always put women's rights first and you've always been really called to help women. So that's how you kind of jumped into Planned Parenthood world, the League of Women Voters. Like it, you always have kept that like passion alive and going towards your calling and just helping women in like the best way possible. So Tell us a little bit more about that, Auntie. Like, how did you jump into those those arenas? Well, you know, it's I, I this I get to go back to my mom, who was always very up there on the cunning line of helping people and helping women. I mean, there were so many people in our life when we were growing up that the women who she would either help them figure out this or help them figure out that or take care of their kids or make sure they had this or that. And she was very active in the community, you know, uh, and she sat on the planning and zoning committee and all kinds of stuff, you know, and this was this 
you know, a woman who had a 12th grade education, you know, and she was just like a force to be had in Mason City, Iowa. And so I learned at her knee. I mean, I can remember as a little kid, like walking along, knocking doors and dropping literature for uh, various campaigns for the various things. And so she always had this passion and a lot of it was directed toward making, helping women make their lives better. And she would be upset when someone was kind of uh, not making it or wasn't, couldn't take advantage of things or, so she'd be working it. So that's where that came from. And interesting enough, the league part, you know, I'm, I'm totally, yes, you guys probably know, but I am totally, totally passionate about our democracy and what's happening to our democracy and where we're going. And I love democracy work. And so, um, once again, it comes down to friends and family. I had a friend when I first moved to Des Moines who said, why don't you come to, a cl- come to this lecture with me? And she says it's being put on by the League of Women Voters. And uh, I forget, I think the lecture was on civility in, in uh, politics or on trafficking. I can't remember which was the topic. Anyway, so I went and I'm going, oh, this was really great. You know, I met some of the leaguers and she, she said to me, well, this would be an organization you might like want to join. So I went home and I'm not real savvy with the computer, but I went to my computer and I looked up League of Women Voters and they had a list just down the line of all the topics that they deal with, voting rights and multiple other things that you know we deal with. And I said, boy, this really reaches out to me. So I called my friend Karen up and said, yeah, I'm in. And so I joined the league and they were having trouble. Next thing I knew I was on their board and then president of the local league and then vice president and president of the state league. And then eventually in the national league level. And uh, (laughs) she became the president. (laughs) But it's because of this passion for the things we do. And it has nothing to do with, you know, partisanship and that, because in the first part of my life, when I was political, I was, a partisan person. But now, you know, in the league, it's a nonpartisan organization. And so, you know, getting everybody to understand that most of the issues that we're concerned about in our life shouldn't be partisan issues. Education for our children is not a partisan issue. We all want good education for our children. Healthcare for everyone, affordable healthcare for everyone, it's not a partisan issue. We all want good healthcare for everybody. Voting is not a partisan issue. Voting is an American issue, you know, because that's who America <laughs> is, you know. So I, you know, careful, you're gonna get me on my show boxes here. <laughs> but, Stay on it, as long as you want. <laughs> but so those are the things that you know really move me and um, got me in the league piece. And when it came to uh, becoming associated with Planned Parenthood, having always taken care of women all my life, it was like. I was thinking about you're dealing with women as when I was in oncology and I retired from gen oncology, I was dealing with women who were facing crises in their life, having to make incredible decisions about their futures. You know, if they were going to have treatment, not have treatment, what to do with their families, what, how their family, all that in one big issue. And so the same thing, when you come to work for Planned Parenthood, you're dealing with women, usually they're a younger age, but same thing, they're facing the same kind of crises in their life. You know, they're having to make tough decisions about who they are and what they're going to do and what they need. And with many times, not many means to do it with. And so basically I just went from helping women in one way to helping women another way, helping them live through crises of all kinds in their life. So, so it really is a kind of a continuum from what I was doing before. So, and uh, all consuming, but all good. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it all goes together. I definitely see the themes of, yeah, take not only like women's health care, but just like, yeah, voters' rights for, for everyone. Like it, yeah, you're just so, I mean, so passionate about it. <laughs> well, you know, the, it, the bottom line comes down to the things that you really want in life, at least in a democracy, is that the only way you get them is about being able to vote and voting for the voting for the things you want so that they can get done. And if we don't do that, nothing's going to change. You know, folks are, yeah, but we could just do this and that. Going, no, let's look at things like climate change or healthcare and that. How are we going to get it done? 
we have to vote so we can vote for people to make the decisions that we think are appropriate for our democracy and our communities, you know? And it's like your school board, you know, your local school board, uh, Abby, I mean, it's critical. Who's on the school board and the decisions they're making is as critical to you and your little one as anything, you know? Mm -hmm. It was when my kids were growing up, you know, and I always keep an eye on what the school board's doing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, all those things are critical, but anyway, see, you got me on my soapbox. <laughs> hey, but that's what a podcast is for. You get to do the talking. <laughs> yeah, Auntie, you've you've lived just like a a very achieving but humble life, and mm-hmm. it's it's so great to watch. It's so great to be a part of. Like. It's just, and you, and you've always known your purpose. So, I mean, that always helps, you know, like once you kind of know your purpose and you know what you're doing and how you're moving through that, it just really helps with like the decisions that you make. Cause you're always keeping that like moral compass and decisions that you want to make, you know? Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. And that's a very interesting thing that you bring up, uh, Danielle, I was going to call you sweetie girl. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Uh, that, uh, knowing your, we call it knowing your why, but knowing your purpose. Yeah. If you know why you're doing something, what the purpose is behind it, then you're also more likely to achieve it or figure out a way to achieve it. So that's a really critical, critical point. You're, you're right on there. Yeah. So, and when times get hard, you do what my mom used to say, you just keep on keeping on. (laughs) Keep on. Yeah, that sounds like the theme of your life. You've just kept on and just yeah. kept, yeah, raising the stakes, raising it higher and higher. Yeah, yeah. There, there were interesting times, you know, and um, which I eventually got past. And there, there'll be more interesting times in the future too. But you know, I was thinking about that theme of knowing your why and how you get past hard times in your life. So. I'm a, as you know, I'm a clone. I'm such a clone. I bleed red and gold. <laughs> but when I went to Iowa State, my brother had been there before. Okay. And that's one of the reasons first that I looked at Iowa State, because if Clarence went there, it must be the place to go. I, you know, I worshiped my big brother. What can I say? <laughs> and so uh, when I went to Iowa State and he was, and this is what a lot of people don't know about me, which they sometimes laugh. Some of my friends just laugh hysterically, but uh, he was a, he was in the Greek system. And so when I'm in, I say, well, if he's a Greek, I guess I have to be a Greek too. You know, it's like, <laughs> just what you do. So I went through Rush and had a really good time, had some great folks on the, you know, in the dorm that I went around with and we had a good week. And, but at the end of the week, I got called into the Dean of Students office and met with the Dean of Students and the president of the GSB, which is the student government, you know, the government student of the student body, that's what it was called back then. And they said, we just want to let you know, we're going to give you the opportunity if you would like just to drop out of, you know, Rush now, because we've heard basically that there isn't a single national sorority that's going to allow their pledges to pledge you. And so there were, and there were a couple of houses that I liked and I liked the people and the pledges thought they'd be able to do it. So I said, well, if that's the way it's going to be, it's going to be, but I'm not going to drop out. I'm just going to, if I don't get a bid, I don't get a bid, you know? Uh, and so, and then the next day came and the bids came out and I did get a bid from actually the place where I really wanted to go. And I found out later that one of their alums who lived in Ames and whose daughter was going through rush with me and we'd met, she, uh, had heard what was going on and she went to national and said, Hey, you know, this is unacceptable. We can't have this in our record and we want to pledge this person and you need to give your, you know, your chapter, the approval to do it if, if they choose to do so. And so they did. So she, you know, it's just like people that you don't know who are coming along, helping. Now, some people may argue that may not have been a good thing, but 
by the same token, I had wonderful years with my friends and there's still a group of us who get together every couple of years and have, uh, you know, have a get together at one of my friend's homes in Clear Lake, Iowa. And, you know, I have one who I have lunch with every three months here, the zoo lady, I call her who, here in Omaha. You know? <laughs> and so I have friends from that era and it was kind of a weird thing to do or be, you know, and they're going like, you were really a Greek at Iowa State. And granted, there were no African-American uh, chapters at that time because there weren't any houses on campus. So, and, but it's one of those things where you go, okay, this may not work out the way I wanted it to, but you just keep on keeping on. And it worked out good. And then our sophomore year, we elected all sophomore officers and had a great time <laughs> i and oh, this is just wild to me so if yeah if clarence was in greek life why was it a big issue for you to get a pledge like what was that i guess i am well, just well a couple of things one first of all clarence was in and he almost didn't get a bid either you know and they had a couple of houses that wanted him but uh, he ended up getting his, but for women, the, just the women had never had, not only had they never pledged anybody, uh, but nobody had gone through Rush ever, you know, uh, so I was kind of like this odd, odd woman out, so to speak, you know, we but, like it, but it wasn't, foreign, it wasn't <laughs> foreign to me because I came from Mason City, Iowa you know, where we interacted with all kinds of people all the time. So it didn't seem so odd to me, which I think is what made the difference is that, but other people thought it was. But anyway, it was one of those experiences that you live and you grow from, mm -hmm. and it turned out to be great in the long run. So, you know, but. Well, and Uncle Clarence, you had said that Uncle Clarence um, also had people telling him like not to rush as well. Like he kind of had yeah. that situation too, and he would go to the bid and everything like that so yeah yeah so it was interesting times interesting times yeah, yeah. that's yeah. just another like more proof that like right the discrimination against black people and still now right is so large but also like even that like trifold to black women is even yes. inside I, you know and the thing is that and People will say that's why you should, you know, be leery all the time and question, you know, things and um, be angry. But, you know, we have when we have our meetings, like for league, we have something we call we have community norms and you, you, we set a couple of rules like, you know, you know, everybody is heard and this and that, you know, the kind of rules that make the meeting. But one of them was assume good intentions. And so my assumption, and very similar, I think about it, that's what my mom's assumption was, my dad's was, and actually my kids, you know, that when you meet someone, you assume that things, the good intention, you assume things are going to go well. And then if they don't, you figure out, but if you go in assuming that they're going to go bad, then they're more likely to not turn out the way you would like them. So you just have to, that's what you do in life. So anyway. <laughs> All these anti-teachings. <laughs> <laughs> anti-teachings. <laughs> uh, I, a question I had is, so how did you end up then in, um, are you in Omaha or you're in a smaller town, Nebraska? You're in Omaha? Yes, I'm actually in Omaha. So when I decided to retire from gynecological oncology, at that time I was in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. And I saw that the Planned Parenthood organization needed what they call associate medical director uh, uh, level. And so um, I thought I really, this job sounds like something I could do and I could help them. And so I applied and it turned out, and I found out I had lots of friends there and I didn't even know I worked there, but um, they needed someone kind of to do what we call the, the Western part of the affiliate. So we were in Nebraska and Iowa together. They really needed somebody to do the Nebraska piece. And they said, I could live in Iowa still and travel, but 
you know, that was just too crazy. So I decided to, and the weird thing about it is that it was like coming full circle because when I finished my fellowship from gynecologic oncology, my very first job was at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. And that's in fact where Danielle was born. <laughs> and I was born just right across, right across the way in, in Council Bluffs. Council Bluffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I came back, it was like full circle. I'm returning and I actually live in the area of town where we lived before. The house I live in now is just a few blocks from where I lived when I first uh, moved here back, way back when, you know, so it was kind of, it was, it was kind of one of those just, you come full circle. It's really weird, but yeah. <laughs> Omaha. And then is it through Planned Parenthood that you, is that the job that you were able to, I mean, yeah, travel to Africa and go do all well, you know, and, well, and my Africa travel was actually through something entirely different. Okay. There was an organization, an NGO, that out of, oh, what's that, from a tiny little town in Iowa, this, um, this uh, man who was a businessman, he was a builder, um, he and his wife had gone to Tanzania or Tanzania, as we call it, mm -hmm. to help build a hospital for leprosy patients in Tanzania. And when he was there, they were in the big drought and kids were dying every day in the hospitals, what they had or at home from starvation. And his wife said, we are not going to build this building unless we can figure out how to feed these kids. And so Floyd being who he was, went out and got a truck and went all around the countryside and got as much maize as he could and stuff. And they got kids and they got back to the Iowa and they said, well, you know, we need to start a feeding program or help. So they started a feeding center in Tanzania in this area called Singida. And then they said, the folks there said, we really need medical care for our kids and for our women. So they started doing medical missions. And so I was walking down the hall at Mercy Hospital one day and one of my nurse friends came up and said, hey, you want to go to Africa with me, with us? And I go, oh, sure, Betty. And then we walked <laughs> off. I went to do my case and that. And then I saw her a couple of days later going, uh, Betty, what do you mean go to Africa? And when are you going? <laughs> and that was in November of 2010, I think, or 2009, I think. And we, I went on my first trip in January of 2010 and uh, did my first medical missions there through um, outreach, the program was called. And I did 11 medical missions there. So, yeah. So that was a whole different organization I worked with. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so wonderful. I love Tanzania. But, uh, I still have so many friends there. And, you know, someday I'll get back there. So, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my little girl, Danielle, went with me. How, you went on two trips? I went on two. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so. it was an experience. It's, it's fun to, I mean, it's also just always fun to like see auntie do what she loves doing. So I mean, that was just really cool to like be immersed in that whole experience and just seeing a whole different side of like the medical missions. And then also just being with all the people like knowing that you know, you're not coming in as like, oh, the Americans with the savior come. It's not that, you know, you're there and you're there to see what's happening and like to immerse yourself in the culture and figure out what's going on. It was so cool to hear like all the little kids stories and, you know, all the people. And I walked around with like a little book that had like all these like translations in it. And I was like, okay, I can figure this out. <laughs> like, she was a Swahili that's what they speak queen Danielle was right on it yeah <laughs> it's like um, I don't know I'll just figure this out somehow <laughs> yeah yeah it, and and it's such a gracious country it's a very poor country but the uh they were you, you felt like you were coming home and like you said you weren't there to save the world you were there to work together to do what you were doing and your eyes left with that feeling of, oh, I hate to leave almost, you know, and uh, it was, it was really a wonderful time. And it, when we first went, it's really funny, I took Daniel and Danielle the first time and everybody's concerned, well, how are they going to go over there? They're not going to be able to use their uh, electronic things in that because you only got a little bit. I mean, we had cell phones, but they were the little tiny and you could only have so much 
cell time a day and we had rolling blackouts all the time and all this. And I'm going, they'll be okay. And literally they didn't even think about it. You didn't even miss it, did you little girl? No, I mean, it was, it was fine. I mean, it was, I think the more intense part was just like making sure we just had to have like a routine of things to do in the morning to get ready. So like, you know, all the bug spray and all the layers that you have to put. I mean, that was like the only thing that I was concerned about. But other than that, I mean, not having electronics and stuff was totally fine. Like it wasn't, I mean, there was also pre Facebook on phone, like social Mm -hmm. media. Like I remember that was still all I could do with my phone was text well and also there was just so much stuff to do and so much stuff to see there that you didn't necessarily have any need to be on on a computer or on a phone or anything because you're just like oh my gosh what's going on like let's see what's going on with the people and there's so many things to do and you're also so tired at the end of the day like there's just so much to do and it was hot and (laughs) it was just there's a lot yeah it's a lot (laughs) that's so cool that you got to bring daniel and danielle yeah, yeah, it was it was really special. And then my brother Clarence went on all of my trips to the very end. So yeah, yeah. So it was a family affair. So yeah, it's good time. I love that so much. Andrew. Yeah, I've had a I've had a lot of experience, and once again, most of the experiences that I've had came through just through other people and knowing people and you know, and never meeting a stranger type approach to life going like, okay, I can deal with this. So let's do this challenge. And I say, okay, kiddos, this is what we're going to and doing next. (laughs) Okay, here we go. (laughs) Well, it makes sense if, yeah, Danielle was like, right, raised by you and, and of course her mom, but like getting from you the whole connection piece, like that's our whole point of this podcast is connect and talk to others and it seems like that's what she's doing in her life that's what you definitely have done in your life is <laughs> all right I'm going to connect with people and someone asked me to go to Africa I will say yes <laughs> <laughs> yes and you would love it <laughs> yes. oh, man well auntie I mean you've given us so many beautiful nuggets today like what we're I hope everyone I mean I loved every minute of it so I mean <laughs> as have I yes I mean did we tell you about our Instagram versus reality I don't think I told you that (laughs) no I don't think you did you tell me that I don't know (laughs) did I forget something little girl you told me (laughs) I I think I might have told you at one point but it's okay has there been anything in your life or anything that you can think of that is presented one way to the world but it's completely different on the and the backside. So basically the way that it's presented, does that make sense? <laughs> Would you like me to explain? So one thing in my life that, wait, that I presented or is presented? It doesn't have to be you. Like it's just something yeah. that you notice that is or presented culture. one or culturally or on, I mean, you're not like a social media person, so you don't have to tap into that. But I mean, like just something that, yeah. Well, I say, yeah, okay, this is going to be really funny. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I thought about this when we are getting ready to do this podcast. Okay. I'm going, so I would say the things that's presented to the world that on the backside is different is the hey boomer thing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because I'm thinking about it because obviously I'm a boomer. There's no question about it. You know, I got the gray hair to prove it. I got the years on my driver's license. Let's say it. And it's, it's, and it's like, and, and it's probably reversed too for like how uh, boomers think about young people sometimes too. But the kind of like that, you know me as who I am and you know, like for example, your parents Abby, and you know, lots of folks of our age that aren't the classic of what they say when they say, hey, boomer. Mm-hmm. And so if there's anything that's presented differently that I think the backside is different and that if we talk with each other and interact that we'll figure out is different. So, you know. I'm just, I'm just giving a shout out to the boomers. That's <laughs> yeah. Intergenerational connection. That's right. Mm-hmm. Intergenerational conversation and connection is the way that's going to save the world. Right. That's, I mean, that's why I would bring you along on, you know, a bus party or things like that. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm ready anytime. <laughs> like I bring you along on a crew on a, a boat, a drinking boat. It's like, Hey auntie, come hang out with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you came for 
in Chicago, what, what the birthday that Danielle or that Danielle that D and I uh, <laughs> surprised her for? You ended up there, and we were just all laughing, having a good time. You were, I'm assuming, on the cruise. We need to have an episode of all of Danielle's travel fiasco. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> we were but, actually recapping that the other day and laughing a lot. Like Auntie and I were just reminding ourselves about the ridiculousness of that. <laughs> Listeners the cruise i mean it wasn't technically a cruise from hell it was just you the left cruise. on a cruise and it lost the, everything it was, it was the cruise it was the cruise <laughs> <laughs> just have them google what cruise you went on and that's what you did to me you had me google and i just saw the room up in smoke i'm just like you see this boat here and there's like a big black blob in the middle we were on that boat and that's where our room was just, I just that's all like so you know you can fill in the blanks <laughs> Well, this has been absolutely wonderful, you guys. Thank you for having me. And Abby, it's so good to talk with you. And that's a lot. Oh, yes, yes. Now that COVID is finding its way to at least some kind of reasonable level, we hope we should hopefully sometime be able to see you in person. Yes. <laughs> yes. I can come to you. I can go to Danielle. We, we can figure this out. Yes. Uh, yes. The Omaha yes. Zoo was my favorite. <laughs> Little one would love the Omaha Zoo. We used to go there every year because yes. I have family in Glenwood, Iowa. So um, we would go to the Omaha Zoo. My mom used to work and live in Omaha Council Bluffs. So yeah, we used to go there all the time. I loved it. <laughs> Sounds good. Yes, yes. Well, usually we ask where people can find you, but if you're not a social media person, where, if anyone is interested in any of the things or you've inspired someone to go get their medical degree and law degree this second, <laughs> what would you recommend them to do? Or yeah, looking up the League of Voters. Yes. Um, so I, I, yeah, a couple things. First of all, definitely. I encourage everybody to go to lwv.org, leagueofwomenvoters.org. It's amazing the information that's there and you can find contacts for me there too, okay? But it's just mind boggling. And I also have to always put a plug in for something called vote411.org. Vote411.org is our vehicle for voter, for voter information. And it has everything on it. I don't care if you live in Timbuktu, Iowa, or you live in New York City, you can go to vote411.org. You can find out where your, what your precinct is, who your representatives are, where you're gonna vote, all in one little spot. And it'll tell you on tell you what's on all your ballots. So I just have to put that plug in because that's one of our really great vehicles at the league. So anyway, yes. but yeah, go to the league and you can find me. <laughs> yeah. so I will be there for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, thank you again, Auntie. It's been great. And I know our listeners got so much out of this and I know it was a special moment for us and yeah, just thank you once again. <laughs> well, thank you. And like I said that you, of course, just talking with the two of you totally re- relieved all my angst. <laughs> I was gonna say it wasn't as scary as you thought, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Love you both. Love, Love you. you. <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you so much for taking the time during your morning, afternoon, evening, whatever time did to listen but we would love to hear more from you we'd love to hear more from you so make sure you join us on facebook at real life podcast with abby and danielle and like and subscribe to our podcast if you're not an apple user we are actually on spotify as well but on apple you can leave us a review but don't forget to leave us a review on facebook as well